Good afternoon. We're usually in the morning, aren't we? It's quite strange. Good afternoon. And I sound like a teacher. And welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Um, Matt, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. Yeah, it is a bit weird doing it afternoon instead of morning. I think it's fair to say our energy levels are a little bit lower than Oh, normal. definitely. I'm, you know, I need a coffee. Yeah, I had an empty stomach, so I was definitely flagging. Um, so, Matt, you, you dropped the dreaded C word in the sermon on Sunday, Christmas. Yeah, it had to be done. It was November now. It was really funny, actually. You know, whenever you ask the question, what's the longest night of the year? You know, people had their calculators out. They're trying to <laughs> to figure this out. Um, so you mentioned that you know, Christmas Eve is the longest night of the year because you're just waiting. Um, give us an insight into a young Matt Bounds. You know, was there a particular Christmas you remember, it, you know, being along with and then getting something amazing i love these sort of questions i'm always trying to figure out this is a subtle way of you making fun of me for being old or not because no, you've seen to find ways of doing that from time to time um I'm yeah easily... well, back back in the old days when i was a kid <laughs> and no, there, there's one christmas sticks in my mind quite clearly i can't remember what year it was or exactly how old i probably around seven or eight i just remember being incredibly excited weeks beforehand ridiculously amped up on christmas eve about christmas day in general and hardly sleeping that night mm. uh but uh, specifically, what I remember is is being really excited about my stocking, so mm. trying to stay awake until Santa, um, my parents, in other words. I'm assuming yeah. nobody listening to this podcast doesn't realise Santa's not real. Um, oh, man, please, please don't have any kids listening to this. Uh, I'm really excited about the stocking coming in, um, and in the end, on Christmas Day, I got not just a packed stocking, but a, a bike that I've been hoping for for ages. This will mean nothing to you, but people of a certain age will know that... Um, the the grifter and the uh the tomahawk were really popular bikes and i was dying for and i got a grifter on christmas morning absolutely over the moon so dave is now looking glazed i've lost him a grifter grifter i wikipedia informs me that bicycles were created in 1817 (laughs) so was this yeah, Is this around on. those times? Move on, Dave. Move on <laughs> to the next question. Uh, no, nice. But it's, it was amazing. The excitement, the sense of excitement stuck with me. I can't remember the details, but I still remember that so clearly. Yeah, I'm sure that's true for all of us. We all have memories yeah. of anticipation and waiting. Um, <laughs> and yeah, a helpful segue into Malachi. I really liked it. <laughs> Congrats. I don't know why. Segway, big word of the afternoon. Yeah. Um, so... This might make listeners want to kill me, or you, I'm not sure. But, you know, you mentioned about how there's now like a 400-year wait until Jesus comes, this uh, intertestamental period. Hmm. Could you give us, you know, a brief, a quick overview, if that's possible, yeah. of what goes on in those 400 years? Yep. Yeah, I mean, good you gave me a heads up on this one. Uh, and I've, I've I mentioned a few books in a minute that um, I've read before on this period that was so helpful and really interesting. Uh, but I also listened to a an R.C. Sproul talk that was on uh, Gospel Coalition last night just to give me a, a reminder of some of the highlights. Um, so, yeah, there's some good stuff on Gospel Coalition. F.F. Bruce's book, uh, Israel and the Nation, is just a great read about this period between the two Testaments and um Ben Witherington's New Testament history, his early chapters are about this period too, and it's written as a narrative, almost like a novel, so really, really readable. Yeah. But what's so fascinating about this period between the Old and New Testaments is it's it's not just the characters and empires that come and go who are really interesting, but 
you see you can see God in his providence preparing the way for the coming of the gospel. So uh, Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So at just the right time. And when you read over this period of history, you can kind of see why it was just the right time in God's wisdom for Jesus to come and for the gospel to spread. Yeah, because um, whenever you get to the the time of the gospels, you know, the Roman Empire, their roads, the Pax Romana, all those things yeah. enable the gospel to go out, well, effectively, yeah. easily. And But we all often forget that, you know, lots happened before then. Yeah. And that's what's really fascinating. And I don't think you've got to be a historian to find it interesting. You know, yeah. when you read a bit about this, the highlights, you can see how how things built up to the point that the Jewish nation were at uh, when Jesus comes on the scene under the Romans. So yeah. as the Old Testament closes, as we've mentioned a few times recently, the Persian Empire is dominant. Yeah. So it's the Persians who sent the Jews back home from exile. But by uh, 331 BC, Alexander the Great, who I'm sure everybody's heard of, he'd conquered the Persian Empire, and he began to conquer much of the known world. He died really young, uh, in his 20s, in the year 327. And after that, what happened was his empire, as people may know, it, it was divided up between some of his generals, some of his successors. And and the two main groupings were the Ptolemies, with a silent P, uh, in Egypt, and the Seleucids in Syria. And little Israel was under the rule of the Ptolemies originally, and then later on, more than a century later, came under the rule of the Seleucids instead. Mm. And the Seleucids, in particular, as um, sort of the, the, the um, following on from the the Greek Empire that had been united under Alexander the Great, that the Seleucid part of the empire, in particular, sought to strongly impose Greek culture on the Jews, and that came to a head under a radically anti-Jewish. Seleucid leader, who probably people would have heard of, Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, that was in 175. I can't tell if you're, like, joking when you say people will have heard of this. <laughs> no, I'm just, Oh, well, people will have, hopefully will find the name familiar, only if they've been in the bridge the last few years, because in the Gospel of Mark, when we were looking at Mark 13, the abomination of desolation is mentioned. Yeah. Um, That's also in Daniel, isn't it? Also in Daniel, exactly. So there's a link between those two books. And what we saw when we looked at those two books was that the abomination of desolation, amongst other things, was speaking of this character, Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus Epiphanes, who basically persecuted the Jews. So he did some terrible stuff. So he, he had a pig sacrificed on the sacred altar in the temple. Uh, he made Sabbath observance and circumcision, possessing the Old Testament scriptures. He made them capital crimes. You could be executed for that. So that was the peak of the persecution of the Jews, really. But point is israel continued to be under the rule of foreign powers now that sh that began to change for a short period when there was a jewish revolt against the seleucids under the leadership of the maccabees again people may have heard of yeah um that culminated in the jews getting their full freedom in 142 bc uh, and at that point the jews experienced a period of independence and freedom right through to 63 bc uh when palestine was conquered by the romans, romans. Under, under Pompey. So apart from like this short period where they really were free, yeah. again, um, they were always under the rule and domination of foreign powers. And, and the thing is this, all this time, the Bible is silent, yeah. but the faithful remnant were waiting. And we can see now with hindsight how God was shaping the world to be ready for the ministry of Jesus and the spread of the gospel. So you've already mentioned a few of these points that historians mention. It was the, the Romans who practiced crucifixion. 
uh, and Jesus had to be hanged on a tree yeah. on the cross. So, yeah, because the Jews wouldn't have wouldn't have done that because because of what that would signify. Yeah, I mean, there are a few things in the Old Testament where people were sort of impaled and stuff, but it, yeah. no, it wasn't a Jewish practice. Yeah. So, how was that going to happen? Well, because of the Romans, and as you mentioned, the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, yeah. Roman roads, so physical communication. The common Greek language across the new world, the known world, all those things meant that when Jesus died and rose, the, the gospel spread far faster and far further than it would have done otherwise earlier in history. Hmm. So there's yeah. no recorded direct revelation from God during those quiet centuries, but God was at work to bring his son into a dark and weary world. And that's what you see. Isn't, there's a couple of interesting things that I want to pick out of that. Mm. So the, Sorry, because that was a long answer. So. No, no, but like, <laughs> so, you know, the Old Testament scriptures being kept in a capital crime, you know, we don't often think about like how incredible it is that we have the Old Testament that was, mm. you know, kept, sustained, protected during this time. Like often we think of the Old Testament as quite dull mm. and boring. And yet people, you know, paid, well, paid the price, like died, yeah. died to protect it mm. or to have it at some point. And sometimes we just ignore our Bibles, which is to our shame. And I suppose even the, the common Greek language, you know, the Hellenization, isn't it? Mm. When people are being made more and more like Greece at the time, that would have been seen as an awful thing. Yeah. But God was working in that awful thing yep. for the gospel. So it's just, I mean, mm. that's why history is interesting. You see mm. God's strange providence, isn't that it? Exactly. I mean, that's the theological term, isn't it? God's providence is, is complete sovereignty over history and everything that happens. And you can't, we often can't, read what's happening at the time and we can't always figure it out afterwards but sometimes i think you can look back yeah. and say okay i can see how god and his providence was at work there to bring this about and i think these are some good examples aren't they yeah that was basically us two nerding out there you said you said <laughs> you said you're a dork on sunday in your sermon <laughs> made me laugh um uh, I, I hope dork is basically the same thing as an nerd or a geek yeah so it i is. took it that way okay that's yeah relief. definitely um so we just were dorks for a while there sorry um, so you mentioned about how God, well, it's, it's in the Malachi passage, isn't it? God sends mm. famines and curses on the land for disobedience. Could you point us to a text, you know, in the law of Moses where God promises that he will send famines and curses? Yeah, well, um, I mean, the, the place to go really is there are various places you go, but Deuteronomy 27, 28 mm. um, makes, makes clear that there are blessings and and curses under the the law of Moses. Um, I'll give you one example, just a few verses from Deuteronomy 28. This is verse 16 onwards, where it's being spelled out what some of the curses are. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed, uh, which I take to mean not that um, the objects themselves are cursed as such, but the, you know that they'll be empty. Yeah, there, there won't be enough food. Um, the fruit of your womb will be cursed, the crops of your land and the calves of your herd and the lambs of your flocks. So that's one of the places in the law of Moses that we find the curses spelled out. Um, so before the people, this is Deuteronomy, before the people enter the promised land, the law is restated and reaffirmed and those those concrete examples are given. Um, and the, the interesting thing about those curses is that they are very real world. They're very temporal. They're not, yeah. not There's no eternal stuff there yeah. in an obvious sense. And that's the nature of much of the law of Moses. But what they do show us is that God is a God who makes covenants. He makes solemn and wonderful promises to his people. And that certain blessings come for obedience, from obedience, and curses come from disobedience. So 
he is in his love very clear about what brings blessing and what brings curse yeah which is what was well i find quite helpful on sundays you know your two points remember the law of moses Mm. if the people went back and read the law of moses they would see the reason why we're being cursed is because we've turned away from the lord Mm. so i think we we said about before we came on the podcast like god is long suffering in his patience yeah exactly Um, and it's also the fact, isn't it, that it shows the character of God, but also it introduces, well, it doesn't introduce, but it picks up on a theme that runs all the way through the Bible, this idea of curse. Yeah. Because this curse and blessing idea isn't just found in the law of Moses. It's found all the way through the Bible. Adam and Eve, yeah. um, as I mentioned Sunday, I think, bear the curse that's pronounced on them. We will um, hear more about that in two Sundays. Then. I won't say too much then, except <laughs> say they will be coming back to that. Uh, Christmas in, in Eden, I think the title is, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, God pronounces a curse on the, the serpent, but also Adam and Eve are cursed. They fall under uh, the consequences of disobeying God. Mm. Uh, and that curse, unlike some of the curses I just read out from Deuteronomy 28, that curse directly speaks of death, spiritual and physical death. And that's a curse we're all under, Jew and Gentile, whether we've heard the law of Moses or not. And even there in Genesis 3, we see the hope, uh, again, I won't say too much, Dave, of one who will reverse the curse. And that's language that Paul then picks up on in Galatians 3 to describe Jesus bearing the curse for us so that we can know the blessing of God. Mm. And, and the, the condition, if you like, of that blessing of forgiveness in Jesus is not perfect obedience to the commandments of God, because nobody can do that, but simply trusting having faith in jesus the crucified messiah so he takes the full weight of the curse of god on our sins so that we don't have to when we are in him by faith um and of course we we still have i should say this just to add a caveat we still have commands that we're to follow as christians Mm. jesus said if you love me you'll obey my commandments but these are commands that are part of the law of christ they're they're commands that we keep with the holy spirit's help not to earn salvation but but in joyful gratitude for our salvation so you know the idea of curse that runs through scripture reminds us of all these things yeah you mentioned rc sproul earlier he has a really well it's like wonderful but it's also like sort of not haunting but it's about how christ became a curse like he preaches from galatians 3 on it and i suppose when you listen to it it gives you a fresh appreciation of the cross Mm. um yeah yeah the idea of being christ becoming a curse for us is very powerful isn't it it's important to try and get it right because curse is one of those words that we need to use because it's in the bible but our culture tends to use the word very differently as in curse as in swearing at someone or a gypsy's curse or whatever yeah um, a magical curse it's a very different idea to those yeah um so you mentioned that god is using elijah language um what other language do we find in the bible i know like last year in revelation we find this as well mm. but the bible uses bible language from other books doesn't yeah. it so I suppose what other language yeah what mm. other bible language do we find yeah well there's <laughs> so many examples it's kind of hard to know where to start uh ex- so ex- yes exodus language is one of them as you mentioned so the fact that jesus in one corinthians is called by paul our passover lamb shows that there's a link with the exodus there yeah the people were freed from Egypt because of the death of the Passover lambs. Um, yeah, wonderfully, when you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and he meets with Moses and Elijah, yes. 
in Luke, we read that he was discussing his departure with them. And the word for departure there is the Greek word that's used to transfer to translate Exodus from the Old Testament. So there's your Exodus language. Um, you then also got the language of the sacri sacrifices of the tabernacle and temple that's used to describe the work of Jesus on the cross. So, for example, I can't remember why, but I was just reading about this a few days ago and it was, it was wonderful. Um, in Romans 3, when Jesus is described as a sacrifice of atonement or a sacrifice of propitiation, the, the Greek word used there is the same Greek word used uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament to speak of the mercy seat, the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant where the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled. So you go on and on. I mean, the, the sacrificial language comes through very strongly from the Old to the New Testaments. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> it's so funny, but, you know, in, in John 1, where it says the word dwelt amongst us and the word dwelt is tabernacled yep. in the original. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, oh, my goodness, my mind is blowing. <laughs> but then, you know, 20 Christmas services later, I'm like, whenever someone says, oh, really interesting, like, this means tabernacle, I'm like, yawn, I know. <laughs> and you, uh, that wasn't very American. But, but, but may, maybe that's it just shows we need to work harder than when we get to Christmas. Well, to, yeah. There are so many ways we can, part of the reason we're doing the series you're doing soon, isn't it? That, yeah. that you're starting, Dave, no pressure, <laughs> to show that the promise of Christmas comes through the Bible in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and, like, I suppose the Bible's just very rich in depth and it's too my shame whenever i'm like boring tabernacle yeah, well, that, exactly yeah yeah i didn't want to highlight your sinfulness as well dave but no you're I'm, quite right i'm very okay with that <laughs> but yeah it is it's great to see that yeah. the bible's all about jesus um so let's crack on um you talk about um living in light of the day of the lord um it's very tweetable but also quite jargony mm -hmm. it, so forgive me for no, that fair, fair comment so what what does that actually mean what does that look like day to day yeah. to live in light of the day of the lord yeah um okay so so for me it means quite simply that i regularly daily need to remind myself that i will see jesus that physically when he returns to earth with with these physical eyes i will see him and i will dwell in a perfect new creation so that's that's what the day of the lord means that's the bottom line for the christian um so for me, it means that I start each day with that perspective on that day's joys and that day's struggles. Uh, this world isn't my home. My lasting home is the new creation that Jesus will bring on that day. And I need to, we talked about preaching to ourselves before, haven't we? I need to preach that to myself daily. On Sunday after your sermon, which is great, um, the, just, <laughs> thank you. I'm going to, so like after the two songs that we sung, you know, what is our hope in life and death? And there is a hope, you know, two songs. Mm. You know, it brought tears to my eyes to sing like, you know, when suffering cease and sorrows die yeah. and every longing satisfied. To think that one day that will be true mm. definitely, you know, puts, I don't know, ballast in your spine whenever things are mm. tough, doesn't it? Because yeah. you know that, as you say, this world is not our home. Mm. Um, so good job. Um, who led us in music on Sunday. Mm. Um, how, so sort of similar theme, how does living in light of the day of the Lord affect, well, our evangelism? You know, this might be a chance for to briefly mention Christmas or a passion for life. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think what it shows is when we do, and we're going to say more on Sunday about doing passion for life as a church, that 
um, we want that to actually affect what we're doing and what we're saying and how we're living so that people come to know Christ. Um, Because what living in light of the day of the Lord does for our evangelism, I think, is it shows us, it shows me that my task of sharing Jesus isn't just a nice thing to do in a box ticking exercise, that the, the eternal destiny of people I know and love, people I meet, depends on them hearing about Jesus and responding to Jesus in faith. So our evangelism is we, we don't have to do evangelism to get the glory that we, we've trusted in Christ and yeah. we're, we're saved. Our evangelism is, is urgent because it's of eternal value and it's what God uses yeah. to bring people into his kingdom and for them to escape the judgment of the day of the Lord. Yeah. That's just weird to think about, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. We just, we breeze over this language sometimes, we're just so familiar with it, which is just a uh, scary. Um, so this, I mean, this is me asking an annoying question or maybe it's just me overstepping the mark, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, t- we read in Malachi about parents being reconciled to their children and children to their parents. Is this a link to the language of Jacob at the start of the book? Because Jacob and Esau had an awful relationship with with their parents. Is that, I don't know, yeah, overstepping it? Possibly. Honestly, I've got to say, there's the, the, some of the, the trickier verses in Malachi to understand why God phrases it that way. Because the, the commentators scratch their heads about the language um, of your parents and children being, being reconciled. Why doesn't God just talk about them? being reconciled with him yeah. with, with god so yeah it could be a link to the jacob language there and the dysfunctional relationship there with um uh isaac um jacob um and esau rebecca yeah uh it, it could refer to the the, the language in um, malachi two fifteen. let me just read that verse what does the one god seek godly, godly offspring. offspring yeah so and that is that talking about a sort of pure Jewish line or is it talking more spiritually about godly offspring or is it both? There are a few, there aren't many verses that are tricky Malachi, but these are amongst them. So why is it phrased that way? Does it link to those other verses? Uh, Quite possibly, or maybe it's just simply an allusion to the fact that the disobedience of the people to God's law has been leading to relational problems amongst the people uh, and those relational problems amongst all people ultimately will be cured um, done away with um, by by the Lord, by the Lord, and by His work. Uh, but I'm hesitating because honestly, they're just they're just tricky verses to understand the wording. Yeah. And it, well, like, why did I ask that question? It's reason. It's just <laughs> yeah. Why did you ask that question, Dave? I know I'm asking <laughs> myself now. I suppose it's always helpful. I find since we got to the end of Malachi, I've forgotten about the start. Mm. So it's sometimes just helpful whenever. I got confused. I was like, oh, well, maybe that verse is to do with something yeah. earlier on. So that's why I asked the question. I think. And I think we should look for that stuff because the fact that Malachi wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, he hears these words from God, hmm. doesn't mean that the prophecy isn't also you know, quite finely honed, nicely balanced work of literature yeah. that you would expect to pick up links in different bits of it. Yeah. And that, that's the wonderful thing about God's word. Yeah. Uh, okay. Final two questions. Could you tell us something that you've learned personally going through the book of Malachi? Uh, yeah, well, um, I suppose not so much brand new learning as powerful reminders for me. On on top of 
the focus on the day of the Lord and living in light of the day of the Lord, two things. Number one, God is so, so patient with sinful people. I mean, you see that with the history of Israel all the way through the Old Testament. You certainly see it in Malachi, and it reminds me of God's patience, including his patience with me. That's the first one. Secondly, that we need the whole Old Testament to have the full, beautiful portrait of God's salvation plan in his son. You know, if we had just our New Testament, we could know what we need to know to be yeah. saved. But isn't it wonderful that we've got the old to, to fill out the picture and make it all the more beautiful? So I think that's some of my, my learning. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what I've learned. Go for it. Um, <laughs> I suppose this is my second year. It's going into my second year mm. being in this church. And sometimes Sundays can just be a bit loveless in some ways. Mm. Like just sadly, you can just get into, okay, do this, this, and this. Yeah. And actually to be reminded as someone who's supposed to be leading the church that half-hearted worship isn't worship at all. Yeah. I've been really challenged by that mm. Um, on Sundays whenever it comes to hearing the word preached do i pray throughout the week that yeah you know what i preach or what you preach does it impact the rest of my life mm. um oh, that's something i've learned um yeah yeah so oh, so let's finish on this um <laughs> i don't know what's going on with me today um just a lack of food day. yeah just i'm hungry i'm basically drunk um as, <laughs> he's not actually drunk what am i talking about um a sentence <laughs> quick day wrap up yeah. before you get yourself <laughs> in trouble a sentence to sum up the message of the book we did this with the teenagers on sunday yeah. so oh, a sentence yeah a sentence oh well i'll give you mine and see if they, I, they, they might well come up with something better better yeah. if you can remember anything they said um I think true worship, because I think that's basically what Malachi is about. True worship means being in the word and looking to Jesus. I think that's what the last few verses sum up. And we see that theme all the way through. We need to hear from God and we need to be looking to Jesus and his coming. True worship means being in the word and looking to Jesus. That's my best stab. Great. The, Can you remember anything that you've came up with? My, <laughs> my group at youth um, did the cool remnant remained with God by truly worshiping that's pretty that's okay that's actually better than what i just said no that's well really, like that's so, really good so at the start you know they're just chucking out like words yeah and then we made it into a sentence and someone chucked in the word cool so we had to make sure cool somehow <laughs> made it in there we couldn't do like by cool worship so we thought the cool remnant the cool remnant yeah well yeah if i was writing a book in it i might not put the word cool in though that did get my attention but i love that definition that's that's really good well done youth yeah good job um nice uh tom roberts on sunday sam 36. 36 yep great um so we're praying for him and we'll hear more about passion for life on yes yeah and uh i'm not sure what's happening podcast wise next week but i'm sure there's going to be one he says looking at dave i am i'm interviewing sue on oh, thursday brilliant um actually i'm going back to northern ireland with amy for our northern irish wedding celebration yeah seriously yeah it's in wow. the well it's in our share calendar that i'm away this weekend <laughs> oh no i saw i saw i saw you're away dave i didn't realize you were doing it for that that's fantastic yeah so that's you want some photos well it's basically meeting all my mom and dad's friends <laughs> so it's going to be a bit weird uh, nice one enjoy yeah what's happened let's just finish there <laughs> see you soon Bye -bye. see you next week <laughs>